0: So, are you, are you all ready for this? Start with your heads okay, down. everybody. Now look up slowly.
1: Bring your arms up and bring them down. All right, we got some new theme music today. Again,
2: both arms Yay! <coughs> Death metal!
3: <Turn> down. <laughs> you <laughs> love
1: and down. Y'all hearing this?
3: No. No, it doesn't right play there. for us. No. Don't catch.
2: this from Silent Bob? <laughs>
1: All right. Well, uh, we want to welcome everybody out to another Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, today, we have on our panel uh, James Edward Gray from Gray Productions. We have Aaron Patterson from at and Interactive. We have Peter Cooper from uh, Ruby Inside and Rails Inside and Coder.io. Uh Fernand, I don't know who you work for or I, I didn't do my homework that way, so you want to fill us in?
2: Sure. Uh actually I'm uh you know a self-employed, uh self-employed uh software consultant. Uh you know, I've been doing that for uh I guess over a year and a half, two years now. Uh and I host the uh, the Rail, uh Rails users group in Denver, Colorado. And I've contributed, you know, several open source projects, uh, uh, you know, uh, the mall, uh, Zia for graphic uh, packaging for Rails, and uh, you know, our house, uh, a home automation system uh, built on top of Ruby. So that's the short uh, description of me.
1: All right, and I'm Charles Max Wood from Teach Me to Code. All right, so um, this week we're going to be talking about databases. And uh, usually what we do to start out is we actually start uh, going around the, the panel and ask what databases people are using or have used. Uh, there's a lot out there, and um, I, I really, instead of jumping into that, I'm a little bit curious as to where people come down as far as SQL or NoSQL. So we're going to go around the panel and ask that instead. Um, let's go ahead and start with Aaron.
0: Oh boy, no sequel or sequel. Way to put him on the spot. <laughs> He's <laughs> freshly back um, from Railscon. I, I think that you should. I I'm a fan of no sequel, but um, no is in to no sequel. <laughs> so weird. I I'm a fan of sequel. Okay. But really, really, I don't. I don't actually particularly care. I just use whichever one is best suited for the job. So, yeah.
1: If that makes sense.
0: I'm um, not. That's lame. I know. Not super exciting. <laughs> that's
1: okay. James, James, what do you, what do you prefer, SQL or NoSQL?
3: I only use SQL Server. That's it. Nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Um, I, I like, I like a wide variety of tools. Uh, actually, um, I do a lot of work with uh, both Postgres and MySQL. I definitely favor Postgres these days, and I think it's time we all just move over there and forget about MySQL. Um, But as far as um, uh, NoSQL tools, I do use those a ton, too. I'm a big Redis user and lover. I was really into Tokyo Cabinet for a long time until they basically abandoned it for Kyoto Cabinet, and that kind of turned me off, so uh, I don't tend to use that as much anymore. I've used uh, Beanstalk for QA and uh, various uh, databases, NoSQL databases. Um, but I would, I would definitely say Redis is probably my favorite. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I've been known to throw stuff in a flat file, uh, too. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I, I like to play with lots of different approaches to data. How
0: about, how about uh, CSV?
3: CSV, I've never used that, ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I use it sometimes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, Fernand, what, what, what are you using? Uh, you know, I use Access on all my projects. Uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, you know, I uh, you know, definitely use a lot of relational database, uh, you know, Postgres, MySQL, um, you know, I think it really depends, you know, on the type of project you are handling, you know, the size of uh, the database that you, you know, what your data set is going to look like. Uh, I do like uh, NoSQL solutions when you have, uh, you know, requirements where the schema is loosely defined. Um, you know, for that, actually, <laughs> trying, a, you know, a bone out there, you know, I really like MongoDB. Uh, you know, I've used it uh, on several occasions, and uh, de- definitely, you know, for logging stuff, you know, where you have perhaps, you know, uh, not so well-defined type of data structures. I think it works really well. Uh, you know, I like the way you query in Mongo. I think it's very uh, very intuitive, you know, coming from an SQL background. I uh, also liked it, uh, you know, I've used it on one project where, we, you know, it's kind of uh, uh, you, you know, funny oxymoron type stuff, but it's basically uh, throwable databases. So, you know, you can build a database, you know, play with it, uh, you know, run some reports or statistics and throw it away. And I think, you know, Mongo worked really, really well for that uh, because, you know, it's it's very simple, you know, to create a database, to populate it. And to experiment with it and then, you know, let it go. So it's, you know, a transient, persistent story in a way. You know, and of course, you know, I've used, you know, Cabinet and Redis, you know, which I think, you know, are good solutions. But again, you know, it depends on your, you know, problem area and the requirements that you have for your project. All
1: right. Terrific. How about you, Peter? What have you been using?
4: Yeah, I'm a bit like Aaron, I guess. It's that I like to, you know, I don't really care too much um, about what I use, but unlike Aaron, I kind of use the wrong tool for the right job. Uh, which, <laughs> kind of, I mean by that, I mean that like I, off- I often just like kind of respond to whatever the current fad is, like. I used to literally just stick to MySQL the whole time, um, sort of like up to quite a level as well. I got pretty uh, pretty good with it, um, sort of running some, uh, you know, big deployment with it. Um, but then, you know, everyone who's kind of done that with MySQL knows all the problems that are involved there. Um, so, you know, when the, the NoSQL thing started to come along, I did have a play with various things, that kind of got swept up with the MongoDB fad briefly. Um, I still use it here and there, but not... Um With any anger, just mostly because I don't really like the apis to it I think that's become an important thing for me it's um, the api's that hook into these things is just as important as the underlying technology since I'm not a complete database head uh, but then also um and you know this is a, a nice admission on my part I actually do really like um however you want to pronounce it, SQLite, SQLite, whatever, um, I do really like it. Um, just for, you know, if you're working on something that's like a prototype or even something really small, uh, something it doesn't get a lot of traffic, so, for example, uh, RubyFlow, for example, um, when I started building that, I thought, um, it was kind of when they just first changed the default in Rails to using SQLite instead of the, the MySQL, like, demands that were in there. Um, I just thought, let's give this a go. Uh, and it just worked. And then I kind of deployed it. I was like, well, I haven't got time to migrate this to my SQL, and I have just left it on there and it's been fine. Um, not a single problem. So I am actually a big fan of rolling stuff out on SQLite uh, where it makes sense. So, um, yeah. Oh, and also, um, just like, um, I think it was James mentioned, um, Redis, massive fan, massive fan of Redis. But uh, it's just not quite easy enough to... Uh, like deal with like multiple databases and stuff like in a very logical way with that for me to like be using it for every single thing, but for you know where it makes sense, I do. I love it a bit; it's great. So that's me. Super.
3: I love uh, SQLite. I, I'm so glad Peter brought it up because I totally forgot to mention it. And uh, I've actually scaled it to some pretty high levels. If you have a kind of site where your like your user data is totally separate from all other user data, like, you know, it's a internal data only that you would never share with anybody else. Sometimes I'll set that up and I'll just make a SQLite database for each user. And then in that, you know, as, as uh, the connections are coming in, I'll, uh, I'll set up a connection to the right file and then just use that throughout the request. Um, and that scales beautifully, uh, very far.
0: SQLite's great. I love it because you can hack it
3: Absolutely.
0: I mean, it's it's super easy to embed. It's super easy to use. It's also fun because you can easily do in-memory databases, which is really fun. So if you want to just create a database and throw it away, you don't even have to worry about it. Awesome. And, and works with Active Record, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. And the
3: other awesome thing about in-memory databases, you can build an in-memory database and then dump it to the file system if you want. So like a couple of times where I've had. Um, to do like a whole bunch of processing really quick. I build up the whole thing in memory and then dump it to the file system. It's dramatically faster than dumping it all as you go. So a bit mm-hmm. like the Redis approach. Right, mm-hmm. exactly.
1: I actually worked uh, for a company that stored settings for each user in a SQLite database. And that SQLite database was stored as binary data in the MySQL database, which was- <laughs> oh, re- yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, uh. and
3: uh, I don't think I would recommend that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I would either. I don't know if any of the guys that did it would either. But anyway, it w- it was interesting. And it's interesting to know that there is a possibility of doing something like that.
3: Was that at Lehman Brothers? <laughs>
4: no. <laughs>
3: yeah, if, you, if you are playing with SQLite, um, there's a underloved uh, plugin for it. Uh, or uh, Ruby library for extension. It's uh, called Amalgolite by Jeremy Heingartner and it embeds SQLite in the extension. So I like it way better than the library that Rails uses for SQLite. What? Why? (laughs) Sorry. Because it embeds SQLite in the extension, so uh, whenever I use the version that Rails uses, um, then I deploy it to the production server, and it has a different version of SQLite. And since it just dynamically links to that, I get bugs and stuff in my SQL code. Whereas Uh, if I have SQLite embedded in the extension, like it was meant to be embedded in an extension, then uh, I don't have that problem because the SQLite code is right there.
4: That's how Perl does it. The DBD MySQL, uh, not sorry, DBD SQLite um, module actually includes it right in there.
3: Yeah, that's the same approach. That's the way the SQLite team tells you to embed SQLite. Zone, so, so can
1: I clarify really quickly? What you're saying is that the the deal in Rails binds to a C library, and the other one is pure Ruby. No, no,
0: the other one, no. the other one is all C is all C as well. It's
3: just that it ships with the SQLite C code embedded. Okay. And so, SQLite is an embedded database, so that's what you're supposed to do with it. You're supposed to embed it. Okay.
0: You've been told. Yeah, but, but then you have to deal with compilation problems on all the systems. I don't want to deal with that.
3: Compilation um, problem? Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess I do see that, that um, aspect of it, but I don't know. I think linking against a DS, DLL is probably about equal evil, in my <laughs> opinion. SQLite's SQLite is a good it's, compile, though. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. exactly.
4: Like, I've never had a problem
3: with it. Exactly. I can't ever think of a place I've tried to compile SQLite and it didn't just work.
2: So what yeah, but
0: have you tried have you tried compiling on like Solaris or AIX or something like that? Atari AT. Never, no, but I've never tried running my rails app there either. So one of these days, you know, you start running a project like that, and then all of a sudden you get a bug report that's like, you can't compile this on AIX, and you're just like, what? Uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so I, I have to ask two questions then, and the first one is, what was the name of that library again, James? Amalgolite. Amalgolite. Uh mm-hmm. huh. And then the second the second question is is uh, MySQL or Solaris or whatever we're 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 all talking about uh, Oracle right I mean Oracle owns all of those properties right
3: <laughs> Oracle owns MySQL. Oh, yes. I, I'm
2: surprised nobody brought up Oracle as a database. <laughs> What's yeah. you guys feeling on that?
3: Yeah, aren't we all using that? I
2: mean, come on. <laughs> my we first, use my we first, use Oracle at work. You do. Yeah.
3: Cause he because he works for his enterprise. For yes it.
0: yes
1: yeah um i worked for a university that used it and the the dbas had to have like special certifications and stuff to deal with it and it was yeah it's,
2: uh, acquired it's a acquired insanity.
1: insanity yeah so i'm a little curious and and this is more for my edification than and my ignorance i guess but um, it seems like there are a lot of MySQL haters, or at least we prefer anything other than MySQL. I'm wondering what is it because you like the other data, databases better, or is there something in particular you don't like about MySQL? So
3: let's
0: go like around my the room my on that way. one. I'll go first. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily hate. I don't hate MySQL at all, uh, and I don't actually hate any particular technology. I just wouldn't use it and that comes from actually it comes from a few things first off i don't like i don't like the licensing i don't like that it's gpl so that causes problems with like dealing with for example c extensions when you link against lib mysql do you have to follow the gpl clause or is mit okay and i am a programmer i can't like i don't have the mind to think about problems like that whereas with SQLite it's public domain. Don't have to bother. Don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Totally free to use it. What about Postgres? Postgres is MIT. MIT. Okay. Uh, the other thing I don't like about the other thing I don't like about MySQL simply comes from the underlying protocol and how you actually use the C libraries. Like when you do specifically when you do prepared statements versus regular statements, the data types that come back are different. So that makes writing an adapter around their API kind of difficult because you can't say that the return value is consistent. For example, if you select a date using the normal statement or using the normal API, you get a string back, whereas if you select it using the prepared statement API, you get a special struct back, so you have to put special cases in your code to deal with those situations. And I mean, that's stuff we wrap up in Active Record, so most people don't have to deal with it, but I have to deal with it, and it's a headache for me. Okay,
3: Peter, you chimed in. Wait, you said you like MySQL.
4: I was just saying I like it, Um, but just for for all the bad reasons that people like MySQL, Um, which is the fact you know in the past, less so now, but um, in the past, you know, it's very easy to install, very easy to get going with, integrate with everything. Um, you know, Postgres. I mean, I must admit, I have very little experience with Postgres, but uh, you know, and I think things have changed in that department over the last few years. But like when I was looking at it three, four years ago, it was quite an opaque process. It was one of these kind of like you know really dense text files, and you had to like hook this up, hook this up, chmod this, and you know it was there was a lot of work to be done, and you know a lot of hoops to jump through. Hopefully, they've improved that. Um, but MySQL, you know, just was a lot easier back in the day.
1: Yeah, I've been using MySQL, but it's mainly because that's what I've been using forever. So you know, I, I'm I, I've always been curious as to why people prefer you know one over the other. And so though you know, Aaron brought up some interesting reasons to look into Postgres or some of these others. James, you keep bringing up that you like Postgres a lot better than MySQL. Are there any particular reasons or capabilities or anything that you see in Postgres that's not in MySQL?
3: Absolutely. Um, So uh, I was a big MySQL fan for a long time, too, and kind of late making the switch just because uh, that's what I learned on, and and so that's what I was comfortable with. Um, But then, like, and I was like Peter. I looked at Postgres a couple of times in the past, I thought, man, it's kind of a pain in the butt to get into. Um, I definitely feel it's gotten better, uh, to answer Peter's point, uh, especially if you use Homebrew, I mean, it's just, you know, homebrew, install Postgres, and you're done, you know. Um, so uh, I, I really like that. Uh, and then uh, uh, once you get into Postgres and you realize that it really is a great database, and it's built with a, a, a great feature set in mind, and, I mean, just all the time you're finding stuff in there that, that you just love. Um, it's so capable. So David Brady, who couldn't join us uh, today actually wrote an email telling us that once upon a time, he implemented an adventure game, a small text adventure game, using Postgres uh, scripting language. Um, and that's, that's a great example of how powerful Postgres is and how easy it is uh, to do things. So like, uh, I've been promoting a Q Classic library for Ruby lately that um, I saw at Red Dirt, and it's a Q system implemented inside of Postgres using uh, its amazing locking capabilities and its publish-subscribe that's built in and and stuff like that. Uh, Aaron was just showing off uh, HStore, which is Postgres built-in NoSQL key value store. Um, he was showing that off in his keynote at RailsConf. So, uh, you know, it's, once you get into Postgres, and you realize there's just tons of features in there and so many things that, like, you have to do when you're on MySQL. Like, when you're on MySQL and you're ready to add text search, it's like, okay, which thing am I going to go get to do text search? Because you can't really do it in MySQL. I mean, you kind of can if you switch tables, but that gets into one of MySQL's major weaknesses, how uh, switching tables is, like, horrible, and, and, you know, you lose some features and gain others, Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas Postgres just has that built right in. Full text search. You know, you just... Set it up and you're done. So, uh, yeah, Postgres is definitely a programmer's database, in my opinion. You're
4: yeah. selling me.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say you, you. said full text search is built in, and yeah, I'm just like, oh yeah, okay, I can do that. We're listening. <laughs> no kidding, uh, uh, Fernand. Do you have an opinion on this?
2: Uh, kind of. You know, actually, I'm. I'm more like, a, uh, you know, I like things. You know, keep things simple. So, you know, initially, and I think it all depends on your requirements and what type of application you're actually building, right? I mean, you know, I think MySQL, I mean, that's my personal opinion. I think it's fine, you know, if you're dealing, you know, with you know, 10 of thousands of records, you know, are, you know, not in the scale of like millions and millions and perhaps, you know, lots of updates uh, to the database. I mean, that's a simple way in. I agree with Peter, you know, the the install is that simple, Uh, you know, the distribution is pretty, uh, you know, uh, wide. So it's, you know, easy to get it on your system. So I kind of like to start there. It's almost like this kind of makes me think, you know, of, uh, in a way, you know, like performance, you know, optimization type scenarios where, you know, you kind of like, you know, if you try to put in your performance, you know, prior to getting something done, you know, you're gonna end up doing it over and over again. So I think, you know, I think any database solution is probably fine, you know, until you get a phone call at 3 a.m., you know, with, you know, your application is crapping out. So I think really, uh, use the best uh, tool for the job and basically try to figure out, you know, where you're going to be the most efficient debugging and finding the issue with your database tool. So, I think, you know, it kind of brings up, you know, another uh, argument, you know, related to uh, database and, you know, can expand on that, but, you know, I, I will coin it as the Guido's principle, uh, which kind of states that uh, you know, you keep assigning tasks tax to a great developer and expecting him to be a good database admin or a good sysadmin. I think, you know, there's also, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, due to cost measure and things like that, but I think if you're really doing a lot of uh, database, uh, you know, within your application, a lot of database, um, uh, you know, requirements such as, you know, replication or you're dealing with you know, millions or terabytes, you know, worth of data, then also, you know, is the developer the best person to actually make those kind of decisions versus bringing in, you know, uh, a database administrator into your organization. Right. So that's, you know, that's kind of like, you know, I think everybody's got chops, you know, in, uh, in database, and or sysadmin for that matter, but, you know, where do you get to a point where you're getting uh, diminishing returns, right?
3: Mm -hmm. That's kind of a really good point, actually, I think that um, in in our industry, we tend to just have the developer do all the database work, you know, but there are actually people that know how to do that crap, you know, and are better at it than we are, no matter what we tell ourselves. Um, And sometimes a project is big enough that you probably ought to take that seriously and use a professional,
1: you know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, one thing that Fernand brought up too was uh, kind of using the right tool for the job and also using the right tool for you. I kind of got both of those out of that. But in using the right tool for the job, I mean, there are a lot of different types of databases and a lot of different problems that they solve. And so I, I'm going to kind of go through some of the different types of databases and get some opinions on, on what they're good for and what people might be using them for that they ought to reconsider. And the first one that I want to ask about is the key value Uh, type database and so you have things like memcached or redis or uh, tokyo cabinet i think is also a key value i might be wrong on that Um, but but what what are those good for what what problems do they solve well
3: so i would say they're great for when you want a big hash in the sky is basically what they're good for, and then they all have their different flavors. Like for example, MemCache is still the best of the best for the simple caches, in my opinion, uh, and I really like it for that. It has better expiration than Redis. Um, it has better um, memory adjustments uh, than Redis, so I, I think no. it really. No, I, I think it. I think it excels at that. I hear the um,
1: scent, Peter.
4: I know,
3: Peter. What do you think?
4: no i mean no i just in all of my experiments, i used memcache um a few years ago now so it may well have improved um but just in like very very basic tests i just found memcache to be i like, it's actually i found it slower than redis for a start um not by a massive amount but a little bit um, but no, I just find Redis to be a lot more um, configurable, like on the memory side of things. But I mean, I guess, um, you know, he's been adding in a lot more stuff recently, like, you know, the different types of storage uh, systems that are going to be coming in and, you know, this and that. I guess perhaps I, I see a lot more promise in Redis than Memcache going forward. Yeah, I'll just say, I just, I just prefer the, the configuration of it as is now. Um, I just find it a lot more configurable than Memcache.
3: So I, I will agree that Redis is very configurable, but um, actually what I was referring to, and I, I didn't make this clear, um, uh, Memcache uses better algorithms for some things. Like for example, um, when you set a time to live on a key in Memcache and you set it for 10 minutes, um, but then you keep reading that key over and over again, it's 10 minutes from the last time you read that key. When you set, so basically if the data stays hot, it stays in memory. When you set a time to live in Redis as 10 minutes, then that means 10 minutes. And even if you're accessing the heck out of it, 10 minutes from now is gone. Uh, So that I, I think makes it not as good a choice for cache handling and stuff like that. In Redis you can fix that, but you have to also do a write to the key to update the time to live, basically, which kind of kills the point, in my opinion. Um, And then the other thing, uh, when I said memory and memcache, when memcache runs out of memory, it uses a more intelligent algorithm to expire the keys and it will favor keys that are getting less usage or haven't been used in a long time, Um, so it tends to... um, Uh, do a better job of dropping things out of the cache that are old and not really being used anymore. Whereas Redis uses a very simple, fast algorithm, but doesn't do as good a job at expiring the right things.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay.
3: So I still think Memcache is king on on, uh, the caches. Redis is kind of like, to me, in my opinion, it's the ultimate... uh, Networking toolkit database. It's basically like if you want a data structure on the network um, that you can share, you know, between processes, requests, whatever. I think Redis really kills that. It's really good for real time statistics. Like for a while, it was used to do those download counts on RubyGems.org, uh, whereas people would download it, it, would increment counters in Redis, and then you could go sit on the page and watch it update. Um, that was an excellent use of Redis. Um, And then uh, Tokyo Cabinet is basically uh, kind of falling into obscurity, so I won't even bother to say what I think it's good for anymore. It's (coughs) people are probably leaving it by. All
1: right. Anyone else want to chime in on that? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Aaron?
0: Eh, All at once. Well, uh, we've only used, I mean, pretty much no SQL stuff that I've used in production we typically use it for caches really like i've never had to i've never had to scale up uh mongo at all the databases i have had to scale up are oracle and mysql but the mysql times like we used mysql for millions of rows but the only time we used it for that was a read only read only cache so i've never had to deal with it for writes uh-huh. as far as i can tell it seems bad if we had to deal with it for rights um, but uh, as far as like no sequel stuff really I've only used it for cache and we typically use it for we typically use memcache or Tokyo cabinet but I guess we're switching off that because of stuff that uh, James is talking about <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I mean I don't know
2: <laughs> alright I, sorry, I, I don't agree with James, you know, on the, on the memcache versus Uh You know, I just wanted to add a note, so, you know, there's features, you know, as James pointed out, I think, you know, in Postgres to basically, you know, embed hashes, you know, in a column on a, on a table, but, you know, I also think that, you know, this is fine, and, you know, Postgres obviously, you know, gives you some hooks, you know, to, you know, query there, but I think if if you start getting into those, uh, you know, areas, it's kind of like a, somewhat of a gray area to me, and that's where, you know, you may want to consider, you know, a NoSQL solution, because if you're starting stashing, you know, hash of values, you know, inside, uh, you know, column and, you know, and you're starting getting it down that path, you probably want to step back and look at what you're going to actually do with that data. And I think, you know, that's where, uh, you may want to consider, you know, a NoSQL type solution, especially knowing how you actually want to query and extract that data back out. And I think, you know, th- when I look at stuff, you know, as far as NoSQL solution, uh, you know, again, I bring up Mongo because that's the one that I know uh, the most and I've used. Uh, you know, it's very easy to actually start. Uh, you know, uh, pushing, you know, some data into that store, and especially if you want to, you know, extract some reporting or statistics out of it. So I think that's, uh, you know, I think a good case, a uh, good use case scenario for considering a NoSQL solution.
3: So uh, now that we're moving to Mongo, Mongo is more of a document database than a key value store, uh, which is a little bit different in that the it's basically more like a, Instead of a hash in the sky, it's more like a hash of hashes in the sky, right? Kind of.
0: Right. Have you used it it in production, James?
3: So, no, I haven't. I've played with it a couple of times, and I have, so there's, like, something I really like about Mongo, which I think it's a real developer-friendly database, and I like that about it. And, like, Fernand says, when you're getting into scenarios where your data is changing a lot, the schema version of it, you know, or things like that, then it seems like it's almost an ideal tool. And the thing that continually scares me off of Mongo is I worried that some of the production concerns have like never been addressed. Like I, I can't get anybody to realistically tell me how you're supposed to back up a Mongo database without taking it offline. I mean like seriously, back it up, you know, just drop a backup, you know, or things like that. I, it, they kind of worry me about putting it into production. And maybe it's just that I haven't dug deep enough in that world and found the right thing, so I, I'm a little bit scared of putting it in production. I've, I've, I've heard to- I've I've heard the
0: same things, especially after this uh, the Amazon outage. I heard some horror stories after that, like not being able to recover a Mongo database.
1: I've I've heard that too. I've also heard that uh, Mongo. I think it's Mongo. In fact, I'm I'm almost positive it was because I was talking to somebody about it. It, it logs the queries that come in to a log, and so you can basically play it back and get your database back, depending on when you took a snapshot of that file. But it's kind of an eventual uh, consistency thing. It, it doesn't do it on every query. It does it every so often. So you do run the risk of, of not being able to get everything
0: back if you're backing up that file.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, sorry, uh, go ahead, Aaron, sorry, I Oh, you. no, that's
0: just why I was going to say why I typically use these things as caches so that I have, like, you know, in case that thing dies, I can rebuild it from, say, a regular SQL database.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the. I, I agree with you guys. I mean, that's definitely has been a flaw, uh, you know, with Mongo, and, you know, I'm kind of out of date. I don't know if they have actually addressed some of those issues, but I think, You know, and perhaps, you know, you can extrapolate that to be more generalistic. But I think, you know, if you do look at NoSQL, I I think it might be advantageous to also know whether you can actually recreate the database in case, you know, you run into those issues where, uh, you know, something gets corrupted or you're losing things. And I think, you know, a good scenario, especially for Mongo, is that, you know, you can put it in there, but you can either rebuild it or you don't really care about, you know, Uh, the accuracy of the data for, for that matter, right? So the two cases where I thought, you know, it was a good match is for basically, you know, logging, you know, some kind of events, you know, coming out of your application where, you know, just having every single logs may not actually matter all that much or the ability to actually be able to dump it to a Mongo instance, you know, run some queries, do some reporting and then, you know, throw it away or be able to rebuild it. So I think that's a good scenario for that.
1: That's really interesting. Um, I've I've talked to a few people about, um, what is it, data warehousing? Mm-hmm. And, and that might be really interesting where, yeah, you... Because with data warehousing, what you effectively do is flatten your data so that you don't have to worry about joins and this and that. And then you do the queries on it. And I can see where that would be handy in Mongo. Um, the- I also... I also started, just as kind of a fun little project, I started writing a, a blog engine on Sinatra and used MongoDB as my back end. And, you know, uh, you, you can stop and start Mongo and it'll, it'll you know, shut off your database and then bring it back up. So it, it, it is persistently storing it. Um, and I haven't really looked at where or how, but, um, you know, just just interesting things. It, it really is nice, too, if you have... I kind of liked it for the fact that I could let people then extend uh, the blog engine eventually, and effectively just add fields to the 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 posts or whatever on the blog without actually worrying about the the actual schema.
2: Right, and And that's yeah. I think that's that's the interesting thing because really, uh, I guess I disagree with you, James, on that it really is more than a hash of hash because you can actually, you don't have to traverse the whole thing because you do have a query language that you can leverage to navigate ad hoc, you know, the document hard keys. I think that's kind of attractive about Mongo. That's to your point, Charlie.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. But um, uh, Fernand makes a good point there. And even even to go one further, Mongo can actually have things nested in its fields you know almost like hash and a hash and a hash and you can still query across it. So that that is kind of neat.
2: Did, I did, it, go ahead. Sorry, uh, uh, the other thing too, uh, in, uh, I, I, thinking about this, it just triggered a, a point here James, Is you know the, the other cool thing about Mongo is, that people may want to think about too is that you know because it is so flexible because there's no predefined schema and it's easy to modify schema on the fly I found it also kind of interesting to basically refine your schema, you know, if you do have, uh, you know, you can experiment with it and look at the queries and look at how you're gonna, you know, traverse down, you know, the the hierarchy and basically kind of maybe use it as a prototyping tool to figure out, you know, how the best way to set your schema up together, right? So that's kind of an interesting thing too.
3: This is an interesting idea. I really like the point Aaron and Fernand make a bit back, where um, they basically said.